on Sunday, like two days ago, I had a really, really long day. You see, my Sunday started at 11 p.m. Saturday night. You see, my one-year-old decided that sleep was not on her to-do list that night. She woke up screaming at 11 o'clock, which meant that I woke up to screaming at 11 o'clock. And then she didn't go back to sleep until 3 in the morning, which meant that I didn't go back to sleep until three in the morning, which if that had been 24 hours earlier, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. You know, Saturday is a really slow day at our house. We would have just taken the morning as it came, rested. It would have been fine, but it happened when it happened, which meant that I had to then go to church and work both services on nearly no sleep, you know, and, and that was tough, but it's all right. You know, I've had kids for a long time. I know how to do things tired. And so, um, where it really started to hurt was after service. You see my family, me, my wife, my kids, my dogs, and my parents and my brother all decided we were going to go cut down Christmas trees after service that day. And it's something that we've done my whole life. As long as I can remember, I always look forward to it, but for whatever reason on Sunday, I, I did not want to go like Saturday night before all that one-year-old stuff happened. I was like, man, I'm not feeling it. I don't want to go. I hope we cancel. We did cancel for a second and then we uncanceled. And so it was like a whole thing. I had this whiplash. I was sad and then happy. And it was a lot of confusing feelings, but I just, I wasn't feeling it. I was super tired. We had already had a full day with church. You know, it was going to be stressful to get out of church. We had to pick up the groceries, go get our snow stuff, get the kids fed, get the dogs. It was a whole hot mess. And I just was, didn't want to go. I just didn't want to go. They say hindsight is 2020, meaning when you look back on a situation, you can clearly see why you felt the way you felt, or you can tell why something went down the way it went down. And I want you to keep that concept in mind because that's what we call foreshadowing. Now, uh, there I was. I was dressed all warm in my outdoor clothing, my snow gear, in my parents' kitchen, ready to go, absolutely hammering a grilled cheese sandwich. It actually was three grilled cheese sandwiches, but I was making light work of them like a champion. I know you see me right there, Uh uh-huh. And once I had finished my Olympic level grilled cheese performance, we were off into the mountains. And so where my parents live is out near Whitewater, kind of past Whitewater, a ways. And where we go to cut down Christmas trees is a solid hour away. No matter how you slice it, no, there's no way around it. There's no shortcuts. It takes a solid hour to get there. And most of the drive there has no cell service, so there's no Spotify for us. It's like a winding, slow canyon, so it's quiet, and it's kind of cold outside, so we have the heater on just so, and so it's warm and cozy, and I was struggling. Like, I was real tired, and I was just trying to keep my head above water and not wreck our car, and so we get all the way up on top of the mountain to our destination with our circus in tow, which includes me, my wife, my three daughters, my two dogs, my mom, my dad, their dog, and my brother and his dog and a partridge in a pear tree. Like there was a billion of us and we were making this mountain our home for the afternoon. (laughs) And my dogs, we decided to bring our dogs because I had it in my head that I just needed to bring them. And my dogs aren't outdoorsy dogs. They're indoorsy dogs, but I just, they had to be there. I just needed them to come. And do you know what indoorsy dogs have no concept of? Cactus. And do you know what plant grows abundantly in a semi-arid montane forest? Cactus. Uh, There's so much of it everywhere. And my two lovable but moronic dogs could not keep out of the cactus and it was stressing my wife Sierra out. And this is our dog Mookie in particular. Yeah, you say ah, but he's the, there's a no thoughts behind those eyes. He's dumber than a bag of hammers, okay? He is just a lovable idiot. And at one point, Mookie ate cactus. 
with his mouth. He picked up a whole little bit of cactus and it was just stuck right there like it was a mouth guard. And so I had to like hold his head and pry his mouth open and pull the little cactus out. And I have a leatherman and I'm trying to get the little pokies and he's trying to bite me because obviously. And it just was the worst. And so we quickly realized that this was not going to be a successful trip with Mookie with us. My other dog, Bruno, doing great. Mookie not having a good time. And so we decide my wife, Sierra, is going to take him back down to the truck, back down to the mountain, hang out down there where there's no cactus. There's a lot of cow poop, but no cactus. We can wash him, but picking pokies out is a, is a rough go. And so I hand her the truck keys. Meanwhile, my kids are having the best time. So my attention shifts from the dog problem and picking pokies out of dog paws and faces to my kids running around. My one-year-old is strapped on my back in one of those mega dad carriers because I'm an awesome dad. My three-year-old is running around with uh, her papa having a great time. And my nine-year-old is playing Marco Polo by herself. And it's, she's loving it. She's having a great time. And so my attention goes from the dogs to my kids making sure that they don't get, you know, eaten by wildlife. And so the sun is starting to set and now we got to find the perfect tree. The sun is starting to set. Remember that detail, okay? Um, sun is starting to set. We're looking for the perfect tree. I find a great one. I you know, set my daughter in the backpack down. I cut down the tree, put her back on in the backpack with my three-year-old and I drag the tree back to the truck. It is just about sunset. Like it's dark almost. It's dusk. And we, I go to get some hot chocolate just from the back of the truck. And then I needed to get something out of the truck. And then we quickly realized that the truck keys are gone. Yeah, gone, like missing in the woods on a mountain at dusk. It gets worse. Um, so my wife and parents, they start to see, search for the keys all around. They're looking for them and they can't find them anywhere. And it still gets worse, okay? My three-year-old then informs me that she has to go potty. Now, she is mostly potty trained. And what I mean by that is sometimes she's not. And that moment is usually the best moment for it if my life were a comedy that you were watching in the movie theater. Like, her, her inopportune potty moments are just abundant. And they're always super inconvenient. And when she has to go potty, time is of the essence, right? If a toddler says, I have to go potty, you got to move now. The problem is, is she's wearing snow bibs. So the overall snow pants, which are not easy to get off. She's wearing boots, not easy to get off. She's wearing mittens, not easy to get off. She's wearing a coat, coat is manageable. The rest of it is not great. Long story short, she pees her pants. Yeah, and so I go to then get her dry clothes, uh-oh, the truck is locked where all the dry clothes are. And then I make the realization, everything we need right now is in this locked truck and we do not have the keys to it. And so I have to leave my toddler in her wet pee pants because if I take them off, she's gonna get hypothermia and that's a bad dad move. Rule number one, don't let your kids get hypothermia. So I leave her in her pee pants. She was upset about it in the bed of the truck. And then it just becomes quickly apparent that we are not gonna find the keys. The keys are gone and we need to make a plan. So we make a plan. My parents and my wife and my daughters and my indoorsy dogs are gonna get in my dad's truck and go down the mountain. This would normally be fine, except for our car seats for our three-year-old and our one-year-old. Guess where they are? Lock truck. You're right. You guys are smart. And so we have to do some 
let's say safe driving maneuvers, right? Um, to get them down the hill. They're going to go down to my parents' house. They're going to get out of the truck. They're going to get some hot chocolate and a snack, and they're going to be great. My dad's going to go get our spare key for my truck from my house, which happens to be an hour and a half away from where I am and my brother are with our truck. So they go, they leave. Pastor Joe saves the day because he goes to my house, gets the key, meets my dad, and saves a solid half an hour to 45 minutes. So give Pastor Joe a round of a hand. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a great guy. He's, he looks like a hero and he acts the part. So they leave and it gets dark fast. Like, you know, in the movies where like the sun is out and all of a sudden it just falls out and the moon shoots up and it's dark. It was like that, except for it was cloudy and it started to snow and it was cold. And, and my brother and I were just sitting there at the bed of the truck. We did what any good boy scout would do. We made a fire. And then reality of the situation set in. That situation could have been really scary. Like that situation could have been really bad. And my brother and I were almost in a survival scenario. I mean, it was dark. It was cold. We were in the literal wilderness. Um, We were tired. We were thirsty and we were hungry and we didn't have food or water. Like we were just hanging out waiting to be rescued. And to make matters worse, I had to poop. I'm just being honest with you guys, like just painting the picture for you. I had to go and that was not in the cards for that time, but it was kind of a scary situation. It was kind of serious, but thankfully there was a plan in place. There was a plan from the start of it. You see, my father was coming back for us and he did. And he showed up a couple hours later and we made it out of there safely. And it was because he did what he said he was going to do. He said he was going to go get the key to my truck and come back and we were going to get out of there safely. And I think that that's something we need to all be aware of. You see, our world is kind of a scary place right now, right? There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of like war and just crazy things that you like uh, you think are in movies, but they're happening in real life before us. And it can be scary to look at the world, but we need to know that our father, our father in heaven has a plan and he's coming back for us. You see the enemy, he wants to steal, kill and destroy. And it says this in John 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill and destroy. And he wants to use fear to do that. He wants to use fear to paralyze us. He wants to use fear to steal from us and destroy our joy and destroy our hope in what's happening in the world. But the Bible tells us over and over, in fact, 365 times in the Bible, it says, do not fear or do not be afraid. The Bible tells us we don't need to be afraid. And there's one reason for that is we already won. Jesus already paid the price, already fought the battle, and we have already won. We do not need to be afraid. We do not need to be afraid of the current events. We don't need to be afraid of the social pressure. We don't need to be fearful of social rejection. We don't need to be fearful of what society is doing and what what seems like the world is falling apart. We don't need to fear death or pain because we have already won. We don't need to fear, fear the world and its impending end because there has been a plan to save us from the start. You see, in Genesis 3, God in Genesis three, it's where Adam and Eve, the fall of man happens, right? And so God creates the garden of Eden. He creates Adam and they have a whole day of work together. And he goes, that was not great. He needs a helper. So he makes Eve like any good man needs a wife. And so he, he creates this whole plan and he tells him, you can do anything you want in this garden. You can do whatever you want. It's awesome. It's all yours, except don't eat from that tree right there. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so then the serpent, the devil comes and he tempts Eve and, and what's interesting is he doesn't like immediately lie to her. He doesn't immediately like force her to do anything. He just questions what God says. And how true is that of what we're experiencing in the world today, right? 
How true of that is just questioning of, is that really true? Is that really, like, is the Bible really real? Is that really for today? That sort of thing. And we experience that kind of thing all the time. And so in Genesis 3, evil is introduced into the world. The enemy gets Eve to question what God said. Did he really say, don't eat from that tree? And then he lies to her about it. He just doesn't want you to be like him. He just wants to keep something from you. And then she falls for it and she ends up eating from that tree. And then she convinces Adam to fall for it. And then sin is introduced into the world. Then out of fear of their consequences, Adam and Eve, they hide from God. You see their whole relationship with God at this point is just hand in hand. The Bible says that they walked daily with the creator of the universe, like together, like they went on a walk, like a family walk every evening. And that's like a loving, close, intimate relationship. And they have a reaction of fear. They didn't feel fear before. Fear was not something that they knew before they ate from the tree, before the enemy tempted them and they sinned. And so fear and evil are introduced into the world and God finds them. You see, they're hiding and God finds them right where they are in their sin. And God doesn't come at them with anger. God doesn't come at them with wrath. He doesn't come at them with even consequences right away. He just asks them a question. Why are you hiding? Because it was so out of pocket for them to hide from God. He was, he was their friend. He was their father and they loved him and he loved them. And so for them to hide all of a sudden was out of character. And he says, why? Are you hiding? And they hide and, and they say, well, we're hiding because we're naked. And he's like, well, who told you you were naked? They didn't know what that was. They just existed. And now all of a sudden they felt shame. They felt fear. They felt lonely. They felt scared. And all of these things were introduced when they bit into that fruit. But God doesn't come at them with consequences. First, he speaks to the evil. In Genesis 3.14, it says this, Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Now, I ask you the question, does that sound like someone we should be afraid of? Someone who's cursed to be on their belly in the dirt, groveling for their whole life. Do you guys know what groveling means? It means to beg for your life. It means to beg for your, your plan or your life in desperation, out of fear. It, imagine in medieval times, a prisoner, somebody who stole from the king, kneeling before him, and he's about to be executed, and he's begging for his life. That is groveling. And so the enemy, the devil, is cursed to lay in the dirt like a worm and grovel before Jesus' feet. So why should we be afraid of him? In verse 15, though, God lays out his plan. It says this, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now that's God's plan for all of eternity. And it's kind of hard to get in the NLT version right there. So I want to read it to you in another translation. This is called the NASB, the NASB, which is New American Standard Bible. And it's a direct translation. So that means the original language to English, no interpretation, no changing it for our grammar, none of that. It's just straight up translated. So in verse 15 in the NASB, it says, and I will make enemies out of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now I want you to notice some things. I'll keep the verse up. I want you to notice some things. Notice that where it says descendant, it's capitalized. And where it says he, it's capitalized. And where it says him, 
It's capitalized, right? And so if this scripture were talking about a general descendant, like like a group of people or like a, a bloodline, it wouldn't be capitalized. It would be a general noun. Those pronouns wouldn't be capitalized. They'd be a general noun, but they're, they're not, right? They are capitalized, which means they're proper nouns. And so that is speaking about a specific person. And that specific person is Jesus. Think about it. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And he was born through the lineage of Adam and Eve because they were the first humans. They were the Genesis, the beginning of humanity. They were the first ones. And through his bloodline, through his or through their lineage, Jesus came. And so he is a specific descendant of Adam and Eve. And it also says that he, Jesus, shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. You see, Jesus is the only person to have ever defeated the enemy for good. This, this moment, this, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Well, Jesus hung on the cross, right? Jesus was murdered. Jesus was executed in a criminal's death on the cross. And at first glance, that seems like the enemy win, right? The enemy used one of Jesus' followers, Judas, to betray him and to get the, the, the Romans to arrest him and the, and the Pharisees to execute him. And it was this plot of the enemy, the plot of the devil. The Bible says that Satan himself entered Judas to enact that plan. And so the enemy thought that he had won when Jesus died on that cross and he said, it is finished. And the Bible says he gave up his spirit. But where it goes from a death to just a bruise on the heel is Jesus paid the price for our sin. And that meant that he went down to hell. And he went down to hell and not only did he go there and defeat the enemy, he ransacked his kingdom. He took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And he led a train of captives, people who were there, who didn't belong there, out of that place, robbing hell of all of its treasure and came back here and resurrected three days later, having defeated the enemy. We do not need to be afraid of him because he has already won. Evil was introduced and God said, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to defeat the evil one once and for all. You see, our father has a plan and he's coming back for us. And if you've been coming to church on Sundays, you know, we've been teaching a series on the end times. We've been talking about um, what's happening in the Middle East. We've been talking about the rapture, the tribulation, all these crazy concepts. And that stuff's important and we need to know it. And it can seem a little crazy. And it can seem a little scary. It's hard to think about the end of the world. That's why there's so many movies about it. It's a captivating subject. It's hard to think about mortality. It's hard to think about finality of our world. And the enemy, what does he do in Genesis 3? He gets Eve to question what God said, right? And so that the enemy is going to try and make us fearful of what the Bible says, biblical prophecy. That means the Bible predicts what's happening right now. And the enemy is going to try and get us to be afraid of it. Remember, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But we don't need to fear the end. And we don't need to fear the enemy because Christ already won. We are saved when we follow Christ as our Lord and Savior. And he makes all things new, meaning we no longer have to fear death, hell, and the grave. Jesus already won it all. It's over. It's over. The scoreboard says we win. It's over. The book of Revelation says it this way in chapter 12, verse 11. And they, us, have defeated him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. Now, the lamb is Jesus. And the blood is from him when he died on the cross. You see, he died on the cross for us and his blood was spilled to atone for our sins, to pay the price for what we have done. 
And then our story, our testimony is how Jesus saved us and showed up in our darkness, in our brokenness. And it's easy to see darkness and brokenness in the world and just attribute it to that, that bad things happen, that evil is in the world, that the world is a crazy place. And that's the end of it. And that's when it's just a sad story. But when we live with a lens over our life where we find Jesus in our brokenness, and we find Jesus in our pain and we find Jesus in the darkness and we give him the glory for what he did for us in our place. That's where it becomes a testimony. So that verse, verse 11 says, they defeated him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Guys, when we give God the glory because of the blood of the lamb and how he painted our, paid our death and he spilled his blood so that we don't have to die eternally and we give God the glory in our brokenness and we give God the glory of where you've been, where my parents were fighting and getting divorced, where you were when I was alone with that leader and it was scary, where you were when I was drunk at that party and God saved you and you give him the glory, you undercut the knees of the enemy. You win. God gets the glory. That's what that's saying. We defeat him by the blood of the lamb, what Jesus did and the word of our testimony. God gets the glory because he already won it all. And that's a really encouraging verse, verse 11. But I want to say the whole context. I want to, I want to give the whole paragraph out of, out of Revelation 12, 10 through 12. It says this, then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. We don't have to fear death because our life isn't our own. When we give our life to Jesus, we've turned it over to him. It's his life now. He calls the shots. He's leading it. It's not ours. So we don't have to fear death because we won. Jesus already paid it all. It says, it goes on. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens, rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Through the power of Christ, as our Lord and Savior, we win. We win. The enemy has been defeated, but he's been cast down to the earth. That's what that says. He's been cast down to the earth in great anger. And that's why it seems like our world is falling apart. That's why it seems like everything is going crazy in our lives and in the world. And, and everything's falling apart because the enemy's he's at his last ditch effort. He's trying to take out as many people as he can. And he knows that his time is running out. It says right there, he knows he has little time. But we do not need to fear him or his ploys because we know the king is coming back and the clock is running out. There is not much time we have to endure with the enemy and his great anger. And it doesn't matter anyways. Through the power of Jesus, we have been tied to him as our king. And there is nothing that can separate us from that. It says this in Romans 8, 38 and 39. And I am convinced that nothing, everybody say nothing. 
Nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Did you guys know? That Satan himself is a created being. He was created by God. He was an angel in heaven. He was a worship leader up there and he became prideful. He became arrogant and he thought he could be God and overthrow God. And so God threw him out of heaven, cast him down to earth. Like it says, threw him out of heaven, cast him down. And then he was cursed to live his life on his belly in the dirt like a snake. God and the devil are not equals. Jesus and the devil are not equals. We do not need to fear him in the dirt, slithering around like a worm. We do not need to fear him. It would be like God, the king of all kings, creator of everything, down from the smallest microorganism to the vast expanse of the universe versus an earthworm. That's not a fair fight. We already won. Our father has beaten him, stomped him out. He is done. We do not need to fear him again through the power of the love of God revealed in Christ. We win. So how do we live in the times we live in then? Right? We, we still live in the time in history we live in. The world is still crazy. There's still all kinds of social pressure to conform and accept things and tolerate things that we know the Bible says is wrong. There's all kinds of stuff that maybe I'll, I'll be canceled or rejected or, or my friends will not want to speak to me anymore, or maybe I won't look cool anymore. There's all this pressure to, to keep it together, to be this wishy-washy, lukewarm, in-the-middle kind of person. So how do we How do we face all of that knowing that we've already won? Well, Matthew 17 has some instructions for us. It says this in Matthew 17 verses five through eight. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So that's father God, God, the father, king of kings, creator of the universe. And that's his first instruction to us in this moment. This is my son. I love him. Listen to him. That's pretty easy instruction, right? Like you just, Jesus is it. I'm following him. And then it goes on. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now this encounter, it happens after this crazy thing in Matthew 17 called the transfiguration. And I'm going to do just a summary of it. So if you want to read more about it, Matthew 17. But the transfiguration is this moment where Jesus takes James, John, and Peter up on a mountain. And Moses and Elijah just drop out of heaven and have a meeting with Jesus. It's crazy. And the power and presence of God was so strong on Jesus, it said his face shone brightly. And so Peter starts out this passage. That's Peter talking when he says he was still speaking. He was talking to Jesus like, this is crazy, God. Thank you for showing it to us. Do you want me to build you some tents so that you guys are more comfortable. It's in there. Read it. Um, and, and Jesus, all of a sudden, Father God drops in and says, this is my son, my beloved son, and I love him. Listen to him. And they were terrified. They were terrified. They fell on their face and they were terrified. And sometimes what God asks of us or what God reveals to us can be intimidating, but the enemy immediately tries to get us to question. Again, 
That's what he did in the garden. And then we start to ask ourselves, what if? Well, if God is calling me to live my faith out loud, what if my friends reject me? Or God, if God is calling me to be a witness for him and, and stand up for his beliefs on my Instagram page, what if all of a sudden I don't have any followers anymore? Or, or if I'm supposed to be faithful and, and endure things while I have the pressure of being called a bigot or a misogynist or a racist or all of these crazy things that people are throwing at Christianity right now, how do I face that? What if, and then we spiral and that's the spirit of fear. That's the fear that the enemy is trying to get us trapped in. And that fear is getting in the way of our obedience to God and it's influencing how we interpret God's voice. God said to Peter, James, and John, this is my beloved son with whom I am pleased. Listen to him. There is nothing scary about that statement. There's nothing scary about it, but they were terrified. And Jesus kneels down to them and he says, rise and have no fear. And it says when, when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. You see, friends, we cannot let fear keep us from being obedient to God. We cannot because we're playing for an audience of one. The Bible attributes life to being like a race that we are running. And there's one person in the stands and that's Jesus. And so we are running for him. We are running for Jesus. We're playing for an audience of one. And he's saying to us, rise and have no fear, which means what the world thinks doesn't matter. What my friends say doesn't matter. What my parents think doesn't matter. What the data says doesn't matter. What my past says doesn't matter. What the people say does not matter. Because if he said it, we will do it. And at the end of all of this life, the end of the world, when we are finally up in heaven, we will look up and see Jesus only. And that's the determining factor. Did he say to do it? And were we obedient? 4640, now is not the time for fear. Now is the time for boldness because the enemy has been defeated. Guys, I've read the end of the book. I've read the end of the Bible and it says we win. Spoiler alert, we win. There is no battle where we lose. We win when we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You guys know how at like sporting events when the losing team all of a sudden starts getting like really cocky and like does the ice in the veins thing or does, throws up the threes when they make a good play. And then the crowd is like, scoreboard, scoreboard. That's what we're doing to the enemy. Like he's trying real hard to throw some shots at us, to, pro to prove that he has dominion, that he is gonna take people out, that he is in charge of the world. And we're just sitting here saying, scoreboard, dog. It's not going to happen. Scoreboard. We are up. You lose. The enemy is trying to make plays, causing wars, causing hate, causing division, causing people to question everything down to the biological makeup of male and female. The enemy is trying to do anything he can to get us to fall, but we have already won. We need not fear the world. Scoreboard. We need not fear death, scoreboard. We need not fear hell, scoreboard. Scoreboard. So what do we do as we walk out of here? As we leave here tonight, we go back into our lives. What do we do? Well, we don't hide. We do not hide our faith anymore. We walk out there and nobody in your class should question if you're a Christian or not. 
Nobody in your school should question if you're a Christian or not. Your parents shouldn't question. Your teammates shouldn't question. It should be obvious that you live a life marked for Jesus because our faith has to become priority to us. It has to be. Do you guys know where the name 4640 comes from? You guys ever heard this? Yes, the Bible. <laughs> um, it's also the elevation of Grand Junction, right? Grand Junction, 4,640 feet above sea level. And there's a deeper meaning. You see, the four is the fourth gospel, which is the book of John. And the six is chapter six and 40 is verse 40. And it says this, for it is my father's will that all who see his son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. That's Jesus speaking. That's our mission. That's our purpose. There aren't many places in the Bible where it says, this is God's will for, this is God's will for you, for your life. And this is one of them. And it's a big one. Guys, Jesus says right there, this is what my father, God wants for you. That all who see his son and believe in him should have eternal life. And I will raise them up on that last day. And that last day is approaching fast. It's why we teach the gospel, how to follow and love Jesus so much. Guys, the, this bump and jump, the couches, the bleachers, nine square, everything in this room isn't fun for just fun's sake. It's so that you can invite your friends and they can come here and they don't reject Jesus off the get-go because so many people have been hurt by church. So many people have been hurt by church and it's boring and all kinds of craziness. Their grandma made them go and they were mean and they were judgmental. That's not how we do things here. We have this really awesome space. So all you have to say is, hey, just come hang out. Have fun. Yeah, they're going to talk. And there's some weird guy that's probably going to do a German accent and eat something gross. But just come hang out. It's really fun. We do that so that people who are just like you, who do not know Jesus, have the opportunity to win with us, to make him Lord and Savior, to be risen up on the last day. Now, most of us in this room, we're saved and we know the Lord and you're not going to be affected by the end. We win, right? You won't even be here. But if you're in this room or maybe you're listening to this podcast and you don't know Jesus or you aren't sure if you're saved, I will, in just a moment, I want to give the opportunity to pray so that you do know Jesus and are confident in your salvation because we have to be sure of it. We, we cannot question. There cannot be question marks around our faith at this point in time. We can't play church. We can't just come here once a week and, and do our God thing here and then go back into the world and nobody has any idea we even go to church. That is not going to cut it anymore. The, the Bible says we can't just be hearers of the word. We must be doers of it. This is not your practice life. It's not a practice run. And this is not something to just consider. It's not something to just, eh, maybe when I get older, or when I need it. This is for real. And it's for eternity. And I don't say this to make anybody feel judged. I don't say this to make anybody feel scared or fearful. I don't say this to make anybody feel bad or anything but hopeful. Because it's as easy as making Jesus your Lord and Savior and then doing what he asks us to do. Friends, we are on the clock. Time is running out on the scoreboard. But the score reflects that we're going to go home. 
their heads held high. Champions. Because of the champion. He paid the price. He died in your place. And if you're sitting here thinking, yeah, that's, that all sounds good. That all sounds exciting, but you don't know what I've been through. Well, you also don't know what I've been through. And I've been through countless times where I thought that was it. I thought my life was over. I thought that there's no way I could come back from this. There's no way Jesus could love me for all of the darkness and hate and evil that is coming out of me. And still, he chose me. And so I want to invite everybody in the room to bow their head and close their eyes with me. And just so nobody feels singled out or uncomfortable, awkward, we're all going to pray this prayer together with me. But I really want you to search your heart. Do you know Jesus? Is God your father? Because he wants to be. He has a plan for you and he's coming back for you. So with every head bowed and every eyes closed, repeat after me, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross and paid for my sins, but I didn't have to. Thank you that you rose again. And I believe that you are savior. Jesus, be Lord of my life and show me what that means. Give me the endurance to live it out. Thank you for winning the battle. I love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Friends, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be. There's nothing in this world that can take our place. There's nothing in this world that can separate us from God. No power above, no power below, no demon, no angel, nothing can separate us from the love of God that he poured out willingly for you. And so if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to invite you to come talk to me, come talk to Pastor Madeline, Pastor Joe, Pastor Brittany, so that we can kind of give you some next steps and, and put you on the right path to learning what it means to have Jesus as not just a savior, but as your Lord too. Let me pray for you really quick and then I'll send you guys on your way. God, we love you so much and we thank you for what you've done here. We thank you that you've already won, that you had a plan and that you are coming back for us. God, I pray just a blessing over every person in this room, every person who can hear my voice and that they would be with us in the last days and that they would be raised up on that last day. We love you so much. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center podcast. For more information on what's happening at 4640, you can check us out on social media or our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights, and we hope to see you there.